Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Levy URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Jeremy Spencer and his producer engineer, Sean McGee. Here goes. Jeremy Spencer and Sean McGee, welcome to the URM podcast. Thank you. Yeah, what's up, man? Pleasure to have you here. I'm wondering, you've been getting into production. Is that something that uh, you've always been into or is that just something that we're just now finding out about? I've been doing production stuff, you know, on some scale pretty much for 20 years. like. My previous band, I edited their first album, and this stuff, Sean is definitely doing the engineering more so than me at all. I, I really don't. I'm not a knob turner as much as uh, <laughs> Sean's the the champion of that. So why try to bring somebody in that's not as good to do it? You know. <laughs> I actually really like that philosophy. Um, I try to try to do that in my in my own work. I think that one of the fatal flaws for musicians or producers is trying to do everything themselves when there's other people around them that could do something better that'll just make everything better. Yeah, I remember in a previous situation going to make a record and the producer was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll edit your drums. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought I had to edit them because I had done it on the first record. I did, I did all the editing. So when it was time for drum editing, I, I was like, you, what do you mean you're going to do it? I thought I had to do it. So I was totally, I couldn't believe that he actually edited the drums. I thought I had to do it myself. <laughs> it can be a blessing or a curse when the drummer wants to edit their own drums. That could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then when they want to shift it off the grid slightly, you know, yeah, it's just, it, it can be a nightmare. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some drummers yeah. will want that. They'll be like, I don't quantize me or, or don't quantize the snare. And I'm like, well, you realize if you don't quantize the snare and everything else, it's going to be fucked. <laughs> you got to quantize all of it. If you're going to quantize anything, you can't just move one drum around or you're going to get all kinds of phase nightmares, man. You can hear it. It's, it's one of those things that back when like samples and editing became like a, real prominent thing, I think in the 2000s. I didn't know what I was hearing, but I'd hear on these metal records, like popular metal records too, it would sound like the snare was just like 
suddenly disappearing or like almost flaming, but not a flam. It's like in like a fast beat. It's like they're not flaming. I know they're not flaming. What am I hearing? You know, come to find out later that uh, they weren't, they were either not aligning the samples properly or they were just editing things separately and just like moving the snares and then moving like in different directions. And hence, that's why the snares started disappearing. The phase just died. Yeah, it's funny. It, the trial and error you have to go through to to learn how to, to edit drums, it takes a little bit of time. It's not just something you sit down one day and go, I got it. You know, it takes some some trial and error and some learning, you know? Well, yeah, I think that the best drum editors, they're not the intern. It's not someone that doesn't have many skills that you can just be like, edit the drums. I think it has to be someone who has a pretty deep musical understanding because they have to feel and understand exactly what the drummer was going for because otherwise it could when they play if a drummer plays something tricky that's not exactly in the same subdivision as the grid or slightly just slightly confusing if you don't have good musical judgment you could just edit that all kinds of weird now we just figured out our problem we don't have yeah, yeah no bad musical judgment. <laughs> <laughs> are you a grid editor yeah do you ever do it by hand or is it like just straight up beat detective? Oh no, dude. I never use beat detective. I do it all by hand because when you use beat detective, you still have to check the purple lines and you still got to move them to the attack. You know what I mean? So I just, I just have to transient line it up. It, it might take me a little bit longer, but at least I only have to do it once, you know, and I know it's right. Yeah. I feel like also, this was another thing that I started to notice, like, cause I used to do it all by hand and then, when I started working with like better producers, they would, they were showing me this thing, Beat Detective, and they would do it and be like, why does that sound fucked up now? Like, not because it was in time, but like suddenly it sounded like I could hear problems in the audio. Suddenly it didn't sound like what I thought it was going to sound like. It turns out that, yeah, that's Beat Detective doing its thing. In a mix, you won't hear it, probably, maybe. The only way to, I feel like, to really do it right, like really, really do it right is do it by hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to do everything by hand. I don't like to rely on a plugin to do something for me, editing-wise, you know? Yeah, you don't want the machine to think for you. Yeah, time the guitars, bass, all by hand. Yeah, you know, I feel like there are some intelligent plugins out there now, like now, like Soothe or whatever. Have you f fucked with Soothe? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you, you really should. It'll change your life. We'll look into it today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, S-O-O-T-H-E. It's really one of the most revolutionary plugins that I've come across in ages. And I don't think much stuff is revolutionary, but it does exactly what the name says. So if you have like symbols with really nasty high frequencies or something or guitars, it finds them and it soothes them basically, <laughs> but it actually works. That's the thing. It's intelligent. The only problem is when people don't use judgment and they go too far and then they end up neutering things, but it actually really does what it's supposed to do. Well, that's good. Well, we're going to try that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I like to get rid of those problems before we even start. That's a good way to go about it. Yeah. So when you learned to record, I'm guessing that you came from the get it right at the source school of thought. Yeah, no, of course. That's the easiest way because otherwise you have nothing but problems, you know, and like, man, I should have just taken a little bit extra time and dialed in this tone or tried out different guitars, different symbols. I think it's a lot better to just take the time in the beginning, get all the tones down. This way you can just be focused on being creative instead of editing. The more editing I have to do, it sucks the life out of the production. 
by the time I'm done editing, I don't even want to produce, you know, cause I'm exhausted. I'm like, all right, I'm sick of this already. <laughs> I actually think that that's how a lot of uh, engineers burn themselves out is by not properly planning things and doing the heavy lifting in the right places. So, exactly. yeah. so like if you do the heavy lifting, yeah. When you're getting the tones, writing the songs, writing the arrangements, it's not like the production is not going to be heavy lifting, but you won't do a disproportionate amount of fixing, which is what just kills things. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Tell me if, if you guys feel this too, but like towards the end of any album, you're like over it anyways. So you're going to get to that point anyhow. Like, is that accurate? Honestly, man, like well, working with Jeremy, like it's been so fun and we get along great. And like, I, I, I don't know, man. I just get so excited during the whole process. I forget at the end of the record, like, holy crap, I don't even remember writing that song because we had so much fun. I like focus on the next one. And then the next one, I'm like, whoa, we did this. Um, but I'm guilty of being more over it. Yeah. I'm, I'm more impatient. And I, I'm usually like, let's get this over because I want to start the next record, you know? And he's going, that's cool. Can we get yeah. this one done first? You know? <laughs> I, just, I just get so focused on the work. I don't even listen to the songs until the end. And I think that's why I'm still excited. Yeah, you don't get burned. You yeah, don't over. I don't, I, I'm, the whole time I'm just listening to sections instead of the song as a whole. Yeah, and microanalyzing little things. Yeah, like this is really cool. Holy shit, you know? And then I come in with my list of 41 things that needs to be fixed. No, I'm oh, just kidding. It's, no. not, it's <laughs> not that bad. I'm really not that bad. <laughs> this, Only this four, 40 shit. things that need to be fixed. It's usually like, hey, let's add a tambourine here. Or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, can, can you do a big reverse that's, swell? Yeah. That's another thing about production, man. I, I, I was like, why, why is a tambourine in heavy metal? it's got good movement man but what it does i think that's it actually it adds momentum yeah like i was actually surprised i'm like holy crap dude like it actually lifts the chorus we're like hey man we're a man band seriously but let's add tambourine yeah (laughs) i have this theory that tambourine it serves the same function as double kick but it's not as it's not like in your face. Yeah, it's not like taking that. over the mix. No, but it's the same thing in that double kick adds momentum. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also adds brutality and shit like that. Tambourine's not going to add brutality, but straight up momentum, tambourine does that. So sometimes you might want that momentum that double kick will add, but it's not appropriate or something, or it's already there and you want more or something. But I feel like tambourine is like, it's the answer. It is. It's our hidden weapon. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I mean, I like using the electric triangle. <laughs> <laughs> dude there's a place i haven't heard it yet but there's a place for triangle and metal i've been searching for it for 20 well now years. we're doing it for sure yeah <laughs> no, there's gotta be someone has to figure it out i don't know i've been thinking about it for a really like for a really long time now when it comes to i guess getting stuff at the source when it comes to drums specifically is Jeremy, how into the production side of it do you get or do you kind of defer to him? I defer to some because I can't beat it. He's going to be, I mean, it sounds fucking awesome when he does it. So it's like, why am I going to come in with my hack attempt at, at something, you know, let him nail it the way it's supposed to be done, you know, and he, he does a great job. So there's no reason for me to try to push my mediocrity onto it. <laughs> you know, what's interesting. This is what I've noticed about veteran musicians uh, is they're way more easygoing about the studio because they get it. Um, whereas it's interesting because the stakes are higher with veterans, but the people that will give you the most trouble 
are going to be the inexperienced local bands because I think they're they have the least trust in the people that they work with because they're usually working with people who are just convenient or affordable or mm -hmm. just you know their friend. Um, they really would rather work with like Kevin Cherko or Will Putney or something, but that's not going to happen <laughs> for for a while. Yeah. Uh, so they're stuck with whoever they're stuck with. So they don't trust that person. Also, they don't know how it goes in the studio. So they have all this fear of the unknown, or maybe they went to another local studio before that had a horrible experience. And so they're bringing that PTSD with them into the new situation. But like with vets, they've been around the block so much. And even though it's like the stakes are higher, they know what the engineer's job is and they're not going to work with someone who can't do that job. So they just chill. This has been the easiest working relation, music working relationship I've had, you know, so it's exciting to get together rather than a oh, crap. We got, it's time to make a record again. You know, but we're excited yeah. to, to get together. We do it. I mean, we're, we're together four or five days a week. And you know what, another, another point, um, I think engineers and producers should ask the band, like, what kind of sound are you looking for drum-wise? If you want a massive, massive drum sound, there's only like two ways to accomplish that. Like, I like to explain, yo, you want this sound? Okay, well, this is how it's done. If you want this sound, well, then, yeah, we'll just play live drums. But, you know, I always, I always ask the artist, I'm like, what do you want? And then I explain, like, this is what it's going to take. So if we're on the same page, let me do what I do. Just trust me. Man, setting expectations is so, or managing expectations, that is, is so crucial. Yeah. I like to pick and choose my battles, you know, and whatever the artist wants, I make sure like it's, it's my responsibility to give them the best that I can. You know, if it's, if it's straight up live drums, no samples. Okay. We're going to do it. You know, what's interesting about that is I feel like just to take what you said a step further is it's not just talking to them about what they want, but it's also interpreting it because sometimes what they say they want, it's just what they think they want, yeah, yeah, but what yeah. they actually want is different. Like a uh, lots of times I've gotten a request, like we don't want to use samples. We want all live drums. I'll be like, like what? Like, do you have any examples? And I'll play me something that's hundred percent sampled. It sounds awesome and huge, but it's like, Maybe there's a real drum back there somewhere, maybe, debatable, um, but they just don't know that. What they're really saying is, I want it to sound huge yeah, yeah, and powerful. And so, and they're associating real drums with huge and powerful. So like, I feel like got to interpret what they mean. Yeah. And there's another way that I, that I found, I did it with another band. He didn't want to use samples. I was like, okay, cool. So, but he wanted a big, clean drum sound, you know, I'm like, all right, so check this out. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep your overhead and your rooms, your room mic. I'm going to keep those performances, but I'm mm -hmm. going to sample your kit and replace the direct mics. This way, all the bleed is taken out of the snare and out of the toms. You know, this one, like it's your kit and we'll just, we'll just replace the direct mics with your samples of your kit. It works. But um, I found out that drummers, you know, they like that. They're cool. Like, yeah, sample my snare as long as you use my snare, my toms. Okay, cool. Let's do it. How do you feel about it, Jeremy? I feel like... I don't care whose you use. Does it sound good enough? Yeah. That's all I care about. I don't care what the combination of blending is to make it sound the way you want it to sound. As long as we get it the way we want it to sound. That's all I care about. See, that's what I mean. That's what I was saying about vets. It's like, yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm the one that has to do the work. Yeah, it's yeah, easy. True. It's easy to have an idea and go here. I don't care. You just do it and do it. Yeah. And but he always kills it, man. That's the best part. So I'm spoiled. If I have to go work with somebody else now, I'm fucked. 
Because <laughs> Sean has fucking got to sit dial, man. It's interesting to me. Like I've thought about this a lot is what does it take for a producer to get a repeat client, for instance, like what keeps them coming back? And like, I'm, I'm curious on both of your perspectives on that. To me, in my opinion, it's a combination of things, but I'm curious what you guys think it is that keeps someone going back. Well, I mean, definitely chemistry. I go like, no matter what the budget is, whatever they're paying, I give them my best no matter what. I don't think it's fair if somebody can't afford what the last band afford. And so I give them cheaper tones. No, I'm going <laughs> to give them the best because my philosophy is like, whoever's listening to the record, if it sounds crappy, they're going to be like, Oh, well, maybe they didn't have a good budget. Nobody thinks like that. No, it's your fault. They're going to be like, Oh, Sean, Sean produces. That sounds like crap. That's what they're going to say. You <laughs> no, know? you're right. <laughs> you know, so I give everybody my best to my full potential as I can, you know, and I make the experience fun. I'm never too serious. I don't bash the artist either. I like to bring out the best and I feel like it takes a team. So one of the other uh, projects that I did is produced by me and the band. It takes a team, you know, to like, to really do great things. I really feel it takes a team. That's why me and Jeremy work so good together. He comes from, (laughs) I've known of Kiss, but I never listened to Kiss until I met Jeremy. <laughs> and now I love Kiss. And now, now I've gotten on your nerves with Kiss so bad that you'll never talk to me or listen to Kiss again. <laughs> but just, you know, I, yeah, it's just I, two heads, three heads, four heads are better than one, man. Like, as long as they're on the same page. As long as they're on the same page. And we push boundaries and like just getting, I like to inspire people. I get excited. Like I He comes up with ideas. If I'm if I'm like, dude, I'm done on this melody. I can't, I'm like not hearing anything. He'll come up with something in two seconds that works. It's just, we work good together. That's important, man. I mean, you may be a great engineer that there's no vibe if you're working with somebody. So the chemistry's not there. Um, but we, we're, we're just, we get along so good and we understand each other's roles and we encourage each other to do our best rather than bash each other for maybe some of the shortcomings that you have, you know, like if I, I'm going, fuck, my voice isn't that good in this spot. He'll, he'll go, well, why don't you try this? Or that word is tough to sing. Let's find an alternate. It'll make it easier. And I'm like, holy shit, you're, he's right. So that's little stuff people don't really think about, but that's important. Speaking of the no vibe thing, I honestly think that uh, it doesn't even matter how much gear or how expensive a studio is or any of that stuff because what actually matters is the chemistry, the trust, the ideas, and the execution. And uh, that's actually why studios, just studios, are so impossible to sell, especially the super nice big ones when people finally decide to sell them. It might be a $3 million facility or something, but it's going to be real tough to get that kind of money for it because there's no actual value in the stuff in it I mean, maybe there's resale value for the gear. Yeah, you can't touch anything. <laughs> no, but the value is not in the gear. As far as making the record goes, it's not in the gear or the building. It's in the person. And so the person is what the person is what matters. You can take that producer engineer out of the building and they'll still do great stuff on a laptop or ever. Yeah, they could be in a bedroom studio and yeah. kill it. Yeah. I mean, dude, the technology has advanced so much. I can make a record in a bathroom and it would sound awesome. <laughs> You know what I mean? You know, I know that's true because it happens. Oh yeah, all the all the stuff. It's just it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. We were in there mic and recording snare drums in the bathroom just because we needed a huge sound. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. reverse <laughs> snare, and it was like a this giant sound, and it's yeah. great. We we actually use it on a record. Yeah, like my studio is it's an old hair salon that's been vacant for like seven years. <clears throat> 
And I'm really, really close with the owners of the building. And uh, they're like, yeah, you can use this space. I'm like, cool. And like, whenever a band comes to me, like, I'm always like, guys, it's not, it's not really a studio. It's more like a spot. And they love it, man. They're like, I love the vibe here, dude. It's awesome. Like, it's not sterile. Yeah. You know, like a high-end studio, like you can touch it. Or like going to the dentist. Yeah. It's yeah, a vibe. It's a good exactly, vibe. Yeah. We've made, we've done a lot of work there, but now we, we also have home studios so we can just, and we're neighbors. So we can basically go right back and forth and work on the thing or go to the studio. It's, yeah. It's, it's nice to have a different change, like a scenery, you know, instead of doing 11 records in, in one spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a lot of fucking records in a short period of time. I mean, look there, I think there is a place for the nice studios, like the big ones, like there will always be a place for them. But I don't think that making great records is exclusive to them anymore. Like oh. those days are over. Like there's there's certain reasons for why you might want to go to one for something or something. Like yeah, I mean, I like there, there's a bunch of reasons, but there's also a bunch of reasons for why you might not. And that doesn't mean that your record's going to be worse. It might be better actually. One thing, speaking of technology, that I think blew my mind recently. Um, was like, you know, there's, there's been this talk about, uh, never mix with headphones on. Like, that's kind of how I grew up. Like, that's how I was indoctrinated was you don't mix with headphones. Like only dumbasses use earbuds, that stuff, like <laughs> scoff at them. But then I start finding out like through doing these podcasts and now the mix and stuff that like some of the best mixes out there today are done by like, you know, by like, Zach Servini. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's yeah. a phenom on AirPods. Yeah. It's cause that's what you listen to music on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy because like the technology is so good now that yeah. consumer products are good enough for people to do top tier work on. Yeah. Where yeah maybe that wasn't the case 15 years ago. No, but I mean like it, it does, it does make it a lot easier. When we go back to the engineering, you, you start with great tones. Yep. You're setting yourself up or you're setting the mixer up for success. You know, start start with great tones. I, I mixed and I actually mixed and mastered a record in headphones a couple a couple years ago, and it turned out to be that band's best sounding record. They loved it, and I'm like, holy crap! I'm like, I actually mastered this in my pajamas in bed with my laptop, man. <laughs> you know, because I was just so sick of going to the studio. But yeah, the, but the technology is—it's amazing, man. It's funny though. I do monitor all our mixes in a certain pair of headphones that I have. I'm like, can you bounce that so I can go listen to it and get yeah. a, a feel for the mix? Because it's what you—it's what you know. Yeah, it's what I know. I mean, I've—I've I've worked on some really high-end speakers that make everything sound great, and then you go in the car and you're like, what the hell is this? I had some of those, you know. <laughs> yeah, They're like crazy, crazy high-end speakers. Like you could fart in it; that would yeah. sound great. Yeah, this sounds amazing. You what know? happened when you get out in the yeah. car? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually the advantage of headphones. I can't believe I'm advocating for it, but uh, that the advantage actually is, Jeremy, what you said is, you know, the headphones, and so they go. And what's cool is they go with you everywhere. So if you actually take the time to learn your AirPods or your headphones or whatever, they don't have to be the nicest thing on earth. But the point is, you know what shit sounds like in them. And then you you can be literally anywhere and you have the thing that you know with you as opposed to if you spend... Now, I'm not against having great monitors. That's great too. But like, as opposed to putting all that time and money into building a perfect room with like 
the highest end monitors and learning that, which is great. But then if you have to work somewhere else, I'm not going to say you're fucked, but uh, there's a little bit of a learning curve. If you're working in headphones, it's the same everywhere. That's true. Yeah, I, I switched over monitors so we would have the exact same setup at every location that we work. So we have those Adams monitors now. And yeah. what was I using before? MKs. And the MKs, yeah. MKs are the example of it sounds amazing. And then you go listen in the car and you go, what the fuck is this? It's not even close. Yeah. You know? yeah. Adams are more true, I think. Yeah. At least to my ear. Yeah, I like the Adams. So I got the A7Xs and it's the tweeter, or the ribbon tweeter that helped me dial in my guitar tone. I'm like, wow, I'm like, I can have guitars blasting in my face for 10 hours a day and still not get tired. I am beat those with, um, okay. So this was actually an issue. I use the MKs. It's like, God, this song sounds like shit. So I got a pair of Genelex. I can't remember the model. And I did the same mix tweak on Genelex and then the Adams. And then I listened to it in the car and whatever sounded the best. That's what I was going for. I did the same mix note or mix edit. Okay. And, uh, the Adams won. They win every time for me. And actually, the headphones that I used were the Adam Mastering headphones. And they're not even that expensive. No, I, I don't think that expensive is what makes the difference. God, we use like $600 guitars, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they have awesome pickups in it. What allows you to do your best work is what makes the difference. So I think like yeah. for if like someone does their best work on Genelex or Amphions or whatever, cool great, then that's what they should have. I don't think that people should assume that just because they paid $7,500 for monitors, that their mixes are going to translate to that. Like, Yeah, no, they're going to have a hit song. <laughs> yeah, no, like they, people should actually test stuff in real life. You know, when people ask about what gear should I get, what monitors, what, what's this like? It's like, dude, you got to try it because listening to me talk about it or people I have on, like we're just going to tell you our experience and what works for us. But like, you got to figure out what works for you because people don't hear shit the same. Our ears are different. Our interpretation of sound is different. What you are able to listen to all day long and not get fatigued and are able to do your best work on, that's what you should get. And so if it's mm-hmm. Adams, it's Adams. If it's Amphions, it's Amphions. You got to listen to a lot of music too to get a feel for like, okay, what sounds good? What do you think sounds good? Yep. You have to listen to a ton of music. There's records like that I grew up listening to. And I'm like, oh my God, this is heavy. And now I'm like, oh my God, how, how, what the hell? Oh, yeah, how snare. did I miss that? Yeah, yeah that snare. <laughs> you know, like the Black Album, man. It's like my favorite record. And like when I first heard that, I'm like, holy shit, this blew me away. And I was like 13 years old. And now I listen, I just hear drums. <laughs> oh my God, the guitars could have been better too. You know, but I listen to everything, man. But Dan, those drums are... Uh... Legendary. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. 
You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio, so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. It is interesting how our tastes change because I do know that listening to like older records, there are some though where I'm like, damn, I can't believe that this sounds this good and is that old. Yeah. What was that Aussie record with Jake playing? Park at the Moon or Ultimate Sin? Was Ultimate Sin like the Toms were just like fucking awesome. Yeah. I think that you said something real key right there, by the way, which is you need to figure out what you think sounds good. This is true also for writing music, I think. Uh, Jeremy, tell me if you agree, but you got to be writing the music that you think is good. Yes. I think it's a huge mistake. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it's a mistake to try and make it for other people because it's going to be, you're just guessing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not genuine. Yeah. You got you have to please yourself first and foremost because... Trying to get accolades in this business, good luck, man. You got you have to like the music for what it is and, and enjoy the whole process. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Because, you know, there's 24,000 songs released a day to Spotify. What's going to make yours stand out, you know? Yeah, I, I think you've got an interesting perspective on it just because, like, you've done it at the highest levels. Uh, you've done it on the indie level. You've basically done it at all levels. That's kind of a unique perspective because most people aren't able to like say that they did it at the top level and know what that's like to put out music that blows up. Yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate to have played every toilet in every cool arena <laughs> in the world. Like I got to experience all of it, which I'm, I'm very blessed, you know, I've been not talking about the specifics of the projects, but like when you're writing f- for um, that type of project, is it different? Or is it still the same thing to you? You're just writing something you like. Well, I just approach it like I have to like it. That's so, I, I everything else goes out the window. I'm just, do, does it rock me? Do I, I'm looking for a feeling. Do I have that feeling? Or what section is not giving me that feeling? Let's tighten up that section and get it kick ass all the way across the board from start to finish to where it's undeniable in your gut. You have to like it first and foremost because you're going to have to defend it. People are coming after it, man. That doesn't matter how great you think it is. They're going to tell you that it's a piece of shit and that it's awful and that you should suck and you should stop and all that shit. And then you're going to have people that love it no matter what, you know, that they're, they're fans. They want to like whatever you're going to create. So you're going to run into all kinds, but all that's irrelevant. What people think of you should be none of your business. You should always do what you want to do first and foremost and make yourself happy. 
That's what I believe. Is that something you had to learn? Yeah, because you, you, you release something and then a lot of people go out of the way to tell you what they think of it, both good and bad. And to me, I've learned that it doesn't matter what they think. I'm doing this for me. And I, that's great that you like it, but I'm not even going to rest on that either. I'm just going to make sure I like it. That's all I can control. I feel like if you listen to the good praise, you have to listen to the bad stuff too. And so it's best to not listen to any of it. I just listen. I don't listen to either. And then I'm... I'm like, okay, what do you mean? I don't understand uh, what type of mentality you have to have to shit on somebody else's art, you know, to like log in online and this sucks, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like if you don't like it, just don't like it. Don't listen to something else, you know? What is an interesting use of time? You know, I, I, that's the thing. I'm like, you took your time to do that. And I took a time to write and record, you know, nine records and two years. So that's the difference. You know, I'm not yeah. fucking around on a message board. I'm getting creating. I've always found that, interesting too because like if i don't like something i just move on like why am i gonna like give it time out of my life yeah i'm not gonna call i'm not gonna message lars ulrich and tell him that i think it sucks <laughs> like he gives a fuck anyway you know what i mean what the fuck's the upside in that <laughs> there is no upside it just makes me wonder like why does someone care that much i don't get that I've always known that people that post on message boards, they're, nobody that's happy or successful is wasting their time to be negative on a message board. That energy does not exist. It's, a, it's usually somebody that's they're insecure about their own situation or they're not digging their own life. So they, they vent it that way by getting on a message board. They make themselves feel better by trying to tear down everyone else's building. So theirs is the tallest in town, you know? It's interesting because one thing I've noticed is among musicians that are doing it, producers that are doing it, they might not always like each other's work, but there's this certain respect for other people that are doing it just for the fact that they were able to take an idea and materialize it and actually do it in the real world. Like that in and of itself is is kind of a miracle, even if you don't like it. There's like, there's just this respect there. I feel like, whereas that disrespect comes from the outside. Yeah, I pay no attention to it because people still talk shit about Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> like it's fucking awesome. Yeah. What are you going to say yeah. about them? Check them out. They're rich and happy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. They I won. Pay, I pay no attention to it, man. I'm just like, whatever, dude. At the end of the day, we make Nickelback a better band. So be it. <laughs> but it, it doesn't bother me one bit, man. I just, I, I love music because I love music and I'm always going to do it, not because somebody likes it or whatever. I have, I have been around. A producer once and another artist from a band came up to him and it was all hammered and said, do you like, do you even like any of the records you've ever made? And I was like, fuck, that's balls. But at least you said it to his face. That's pretty cool. You know, you didn't message board it. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. <laughs> what is cool and obviously it's alcohol induced, but what is cool about that is one thing. I've noticed is when meeting haters in real life, they're usually really nice and kiss assy also. And this is kind of similar, like when with the company, like sometimes we will get customers that send us the most horrible fucking emails you can imagine. It's very similar to uh, the shit talking. It's like the same energy. Like they will send the most scathing fucking horrible thing. If I actually respond as opposed to like one of, our support reps or something. If it's really bad, I'll typically respond so I diffuse it. Um, Cause I also don't think my employees should take the abuse, but like <laughs> typically people are, 
they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just having a bad day. Yeah. Thank you so much for acknowledging me. And what I've noticed also is like on tour and stuff, if you meet some of the haters in person, they'll kiss your ass. So it's like this weird thing that mostly only exists online. It's not really in the real world. And it's usually just someone trying to get acknowledged for something. Yeah. They just want to feel better about their situation in some way. So if you give some time out and acknowledge their life, they feel better about it temporarily. Yeah. It's crazy because you guys go out and you help engineers or aspiring engineers and producers. You know what I mean? Like what you guys have done for the community is awesome. I can't imagine somebody <laughs> talking shit to you guys for helping make, <laughs> making, making things better, you know, like I appreciate that, but they do. <laughs> There's a, uh, I, I feel like, Anything you do in life oh, that like affects the yeah. like, I'm not going to say like the world, but I mean like anything you do in life that gets out there into the world and uh, makes any sort of difference at all is going to yeah, target. The hate is almost a good gauge that you're having an impact because it's like it's impossible for everyone to like everything. So sure. yeah. yeah, so if you are getting the hate that means that there's that many more people who are uh, who are digging or are appreciate it or whatever. Because people that do feel good about things generally won't say it. Like the mo- they're not as inspired to like to communicate it. Even though you do get a lot of people saying thank you or you're awesome or whatever. I think the majority of the people that speak up are the ones who want to be negative. Maybe it's a human psychology thing. Yeah, it's like a. Leaving a review on Yelp, man. If I had a good experience. I, I, people don't go out of their way to say praises anymore, but they, you know, but they'll easily spend 15 minutes writing a bad review. Sure. <laughs> yeah, because they're fired up. Yeah. They don't normally get fired up about yeah. like a good experience. Yeah, dude, it, it's it's interesting. Like uh, I've noticed is uh, even if you put something out for free, like you know, we put stuff out for free before. EQ guide on guitars. We did that a long, like a few years ago, literally free. You still had people shitting on that. It's like, why? Like, you don't have to like download this thing. Like well, all the, all the guys that use EMGs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was people who like, uh, who were saying that, like, it was the just use your ears, man crowd. It's like, well, we say that too, but like, you know, here's some tips. Some people need a starting point. They want to learn. I remember asking this producer, I studied everything. I'm like, yo, why do you use this, this plugin? Is it because it's like, <clears throat> because the compressor doesn't color the sound? Why do you use this piece of gear? Why do you use this piece of gear? Oh, it was given to me. Like, why does your DI peak here? Just curious. Why do you EQ this here? He had no, really no explanation. You know, so I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm just going to do, I'm just going to try a bunch of shit, try a bunch of shit. That is uh, actually the, one of the reasons I do this is because uh, back then, I'm sure you guys know this, finding any information on getting better at this stuff was like, <laughs> good luck. Not just for recording, for like music too, just like getting, becoming a better musician. Like if you want to take lessons, you're limited to who's in your area or some overpriced school or something. <laughs> and, that, and that's it. Like if you wanted to, like say I wanted to, if I was a drummer, I want to learn drums and I wanted to learn how to play like Gene Hoagland or something or one of my heroes. Like I just, uh, there's no way to really figure that out besides like 
listening to some records and taking lessons with whoever was around. You got to get a pair of Doc Martens if you're going to be like Gene Hogan. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm like, that, dude, that shit's insane. He's the fucking fastest drummer ever. And I'm like, well, you have freaking Doc Martens on. How are you doing that shit? It's incredible. That's got to be it. Like, just get some combat boots and you'll be able to do it. You know, as, as far as, <laughs> as far as like the education thing, like what really kind of hindered me was... I spent so much time researching, watching YouTube videos, just and just trying to find as much information that I could to understand why and what, what is the method. Well, the method is just doing it, failing. Doing, yeah. Doing failing. it and failing. Yeah. You know, like I'm probably the only guy that boosts 4K on guitars. <laughs> you know? I but mean, if there's not enough. That's what it is. Turn that shit down. No. <laughs> you need some in there. Being willing to fail at something is really, really important. Really important. Yeah, you gotta learn how to fail. That's really where I learn. Like six months from now, like I'll go listen to a mix. I'm like, oh shit, I should have done this. Damn. Okay. You know, you gotta learn by doing. Yeah. You know, because always. Yeah. Jeremy, do you consider yourself risk averse? Like, because we're talking about learning through failing, just doing a band. Being a musician is a huge risk. You've devoted your life to it. Like, so I, I guess I'm wondering, like, are you comfortable with the idea of failing? Like, is it something that just has never like bothered you or? Well, it does. I mean, it gets to you after a while, but at the same time, I'm like, this is what I do. I don't know any other way to act in life or be in or, or do life. This is it. This is what I do in my life. So yeah, failing is a part of it, but you learn a lot from it. And then you apply those lessons that you learned from failing to the next venture that you're going to do. And then you keep growing and learning with each experience. Yeah. You can't grow unless you fail. No, you can't unless you just win the lottery each time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like anything great in life requires a bunch of false starts and a bunch of fuck ups. And like, if you look at any great career or anybody that's great at anything requiring skill. Well, first of all, they sucked for a while, obviously. Like they didn't start great. There's that. And then also for every success story, like if you go in and actually find out what happened, uh, you know, there's the years leading up that no one's talking about. Like, yeah, I think like, the most, the most important thing is what are you willing to sacrifice for your, for your dream? Yeah. What are you willing to sacrifice? I mean, I, I slept you know? in a garage in a closet for a year. That's not a huge pride moment when you're trying to bring a girl home. <laughs> hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? <laughs> like, want to come back to my place? You know, it's the garage. So you feel like a shit, piece of shit about yourself. But and then finally, you know, keep trying things and keep trying bands. And it's about survival. That's what I found. If you If you can survive long enough, you'll get your minute to fucking try things, you know, and to have your moment of to shine. Yeah. It, you just got to survive it. The uh, living in the garage thing. What time period was that? That was the nineties. That was the early nineties. I'd moved out West from Indiana, just thinking I'll go where music is. And I went out to like near San Diego and there was no music really happening there either. I finally got up to Hollywood, but it took a lot of years of just trying to figure out a music scene because grunge was happening at the time and it, things were confused. It was just, it was a tough time. You know, it took like 15 years before I got my first record deal. God, that's a long fucking time. The 1900s were tough. <laughs> so like knowing that it can take that long when someone, this is something I've wondered. I don't have kids, but I've wondered like if I had kids and they wanted to like take my exact path, would I, encourage them or discourage them knowing how fucking hard it is and knowing that 
the chances of failure are like astronomical. Would I back it or not? Or would I try to like encourage them otherwise? What would I do? It's like an actual question because I don't know the answer. I have a six-year-old daughter. I don't have it. For a while, I didn't have any musical instruments in the house because I didn't, I didn't want to force it on her. And plus, like when I'm at the studio, like by the time I'm home, I'm like, I don't want to hear music, you know? And uh, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, man, I'm like, what if she gets into it? What would I do? And immediately my first reaction was like, no, she ain't going to do this, man. I'm going to be like a lawyer. Or <laughs> but now, like, I didn't introduce her to music, man. She just started like Mickey and singing songs. And next thing you know, she's like beating on the garbage can. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to be a dog. Oh, you know, that's so, the worst thing yeah. you could possibly <laughs> say. I ended up buying her, I bought her a piano and I think she's going to get into drums. But I think I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm not going to prevent her because it's the business is hard. But I'm going to do my best to guide her if, if that's the route she wants to go. Electronic you kid. Know? Push her in that direction. <laughs> but yeah. You can control the volume. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best to, to guide her through life and, and help her, you know, if she wants to do the musical route. Well, she that's is all, in the music. That's all we can do as parents is guide. You know, I had no guidance, man. So I was just failing left and right, you know, going in blindly. But but you learned. Yeah, all you the learned. same. Yeah. What do you think, Jeremy? Like, do you encourage or discourage? I think I would probably encourage because if you don't, and that, that's probably what they're going to do anyway. So you might as well not be the dick. You might as well yeah. support it because they're going to rebel and sneak to do it anyway. So you might as well just yeah. and, be supportive. And then like uh, kids that have families that are super supportive, they're going to they're gonna have a greater chance of success. I was supported by my both my parents. Yeah. Let me play drums terribly in the house for years and have terrible bands in my house. And we'd rehearse and be brutal and fucking assault the whole neighborhood. But I was lucky. I had that support yeah. at home. So I was always yeah. encouraged to it's do funny, it. Like when I was 13, my daddy's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to college? He's like, you can always, you're a great guitar player. You can always fall back on that. I'm like, fall back. <laughs> like, why would I want to fall back on that? Why don't I just do that? <laughs> and that's what I did ever since, man. <laughs> we joke about it today. You, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm lucky that my, my dad's a professional musician. So he never tried to get me to do the fallback plan. He said, my personal skill, that's the fallback plan. So like, if a band fails, at least I've got my skills or something like that. That was his idea was get as good as possible. That's, that's plan B, right? Like that's, yeah. you'll always have that and that you can, you can use that for the next thing. But uh, so he always encouraged me to not put too much faith in one band or in other musicians. Cause they might not have the same level of commitment, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dude, it's like, a good way to put it. Yeah. It's like starting, starting a business, man. I was just in a, another project before this massive potential, but at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I would not want to start a business with these guys. I can't rely on them. Oh yeah. You don't want to do that. You no. Know? And it's just like, man, whatever, dude, you can always buy a chicken NFT and then pursue your music career, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the plan B thing, like, I personally never had one. Most people I know who are in music have never had one. Jeremy, sounds like you didn't have one. No. It's weird, man, because it's such a it's such a dumb thing, like to not have one. People should have one just because, man, the chances of failure of really nothing working out are so high that it's it's like I feel constantly conflicted about this because it's like at the same time everyone successful i know didn't have a plan b they went all in period that's it they went all in um well maybe there's like five people i know who didn't but like uh still the grand majority went all in but like i know 
that me giving the advice to go all in and having people then quit their jobs and like quit college and like all that. It's like, ugh, that feels really weird to tell people to do. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell people that, but I would, man, knowing what I know now, if I would have known it back then, man, like the importance of a brand and music and a band, you know, it's not about just having a good song or looking cool. You have to have the brand. Oh yeah. Also like that's so important, man. You have something to sell. Yeah. People need more to latch onto. Like, they need to identify with something. And so they're not identifying with that. Music itself is not enough. No, it's not. And I, I, I always thought, like, I always had the mentality. I'm like, well, we have a good song. That's all we need. That's all that matters. But it's not. It'd be nice. It's so much more than that. It these took days. me, dude, it took me a long time to realize that. I mean, even now, radio is a dying art. And in order to get played on mainstream radio, um, you have to have a huge social media following or they don't even consider your song. You know, it's so weird. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. I have to have big TikTok numbers for you to play my song on the radio. You know, it's kind of weird how that is these days, but that's just the, the way things are. They're, they're looking for high social media number yeah. bands, you know, rather than, Ooh, this is a brilliant song. Nobody gives a fuck because there's 24,000 songs a day released. Yeah. It is crazy when you actually look at the numbers, but at the same time, knowing that, at least it helps like solidify a path. Like, okay, if I want this, i.e. like mainstream radio play or something, I have to do this. All right, I'm going to focus on this other thing then. I guess it's one of those like it or not things. It's like, yeah, if TikTok is what it takes, then it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, just don't don't beat yourself up trying to change it. If you want to be on the radio, play what's on the radio. Do that and then go do what you want to do. If TikTok is the way... Do the TikTok. If know? that's what you want to do, though, I mean, we're, we're doing music that we love. Yeah. And this whole theatrical aspect, this is all part of, we want the whole package to mean something. You know, it's got to be good songs, good looking visuals, merch, you know, the whole brand, the whole package. It's got to yeah. all be something that's potent <laughs> and it's yeah. got to rock you. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Is it something where like, you kind of put equal amount of energy into all the different aspects. We do. Yeah. I mean, when Sean's doing the first batch of mixes, even before I put my ears on it, I'm, I'm already working on artwork and, you know, yeah, the back of your head is still red. Yeah. 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 I, I dressed up as a devil last night and shot two weeks worth of TikTok videos. You know, I do that once a week. So I mean, I'm doing, I'm treating it all equal. But I'm enjoying every bit of the process. It's a lot of fun. You know, I think that that's key right there is a lot of people don't consider that side of things fun. They consider it like a, a chore almost. Well, it's work, but it's it's part of it. And I've just learned to find the fun parts about it. I mean, getting in the makeup isn't exactly wonderful every day, but once it's on, it's fun, man. It's cool. Sitting there for 70 minutes isn't my favorite part of the day, but once it's on, it's cool, you know, and then you... Do your thing. Yeah. I mean, that that is kind of it is it is work. Yeah. Because it is work. There's going to be aspects that just kind of, you know, aren't your favorite, but you got to do them. Yeah. As long as you have a good snare. <laughs> That's all that matters. As long as you have a good snare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, I've always wondered about that because you hear such shitty snares on like really popular mixes. Sometimes it's like. How much does it actually matter? Yeah. Do you think in the history of music, no more snare drum has gotten more attention than Lars Ulrich's Saint Anger snare? I don't think so. I think that is probably the number one runner. Actually, two, two times because everyone wants the Black Album snare. Yeah. 
and then they don't want the St. Agers here. So they went from the most popular to the least, the least fucking popular sound in, in the same band. <laughs> it's kind of amazing to have that much of an impact that you've done both. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's like if you just look at like how like how big of a deal it is that like anything they do is such a big deal that they are capable of having the most loved and the most hated snare of all time. That's when you really know you've made it, man. They've got both. <laughs> Love and <Yeah>. hate it. <laughs> Dude, that snare, though, is something else. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of it, though. That's the thing, is I do love the idea of the St. Anger snare, because... Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice middle finger, too, to everyone. Like, hey, you know, yeah. you like our Paula sound? Check this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I like that. And there are some records I like with, like, you know, very pingy high snares like sometimes i think that's a cool thing yeah sometimes it really it really fits it really works for the song yeah like slipknot snare fuck yeah i mean you know it, it works it works it's not like my go-to but i'm like holy shit it works it does work man yeah. it works you know there's a there's a youtube video i don't know if you've seen it um it's if, if saint anger was done with modern tones it's probably slamming oh it's awesome dude it's sick man like the riffs i'm like wow that riff is actually really fucking cool but when you have oh, like a yeah. mediocre tone, I'm like, oh God, I can't listen to the song. I just skip. you're turned off. You know, but yeah, if you listen to if you find that video on YouTube, it's I can't remember what band is doing it, but they played the whole record from start to finish with modern heavy tones. And it's fucking incredible. Yeah. Man, speaking of the slipknot snare, that Joey snare is like actually the best cheap snare I've ever I've ever used in a session. Like I've had sessions where we've tried out like 15 different snare drums, like really good stuff and had the Joey snare there and it mm -hmm. just won. It, yeah. Not every time, but several times. And it's like, this is like the best $300 snare it's great. Ever, I've ever had. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that stuff. $300 snare is yeah. a secret weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a $300 snare. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. It just goes to show that like, again, like the price of something does not determine the usefulness or the quality of it. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, and a, a really good example is a 5150. Yeah. That is a cheap head. I mean, not now because everything changed with COVID, but like when I got mine, it was $400. They were about that price for a really long time. And I remember when I started to get more into like elitist circles of musicians and engineers, they would scoff at it. They'd be like, dude, get a real amp, like a Bogner. What are you doing with that fucking shit? And it's like, hey, Bogners are great, but you can't shit on this 5150 block letter. It is like 85% of all the metal guitar tones out there on all the best productions. It just, it just is awesome. It just somehow does the right thing. And, um, it's interesting. Like you go to like great producers amp rooms and they'll have like 20 different heads and $5,000 heads, but they almost always have a 5150 <laughs> and somehow 80, 85% of the time it wins the shootouts. Yeah. 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 I sold my barn to get a Kemper, man. And I use the 5153 time. There you go. Kemper. All right. So, so there's a few things that I think are revolutionary. Soothe is one of them. Kemper is another. Yeah. Yeah. So when that came out, I was like, holy shit, shit has changed. But uh, I think it's a good place to end the episode. I want to uh, 
Thank you guys very much. Come on, let's talk about Alex Van Halen's snare some more. God damn it. Dude, Alex Van Halen's <laughs> snare. <laughs> no, I, I want to thank you guys for coming on. It's been awesome talking to you, and I'm still blown away by the amount of output you guys have. Thank you. We have two more since then. Where we're yeah, we're almost done with record eleven. We're 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 still going. That's fucking insane. Yeah, the pandemic, man. I have a lot of respect for uh, people that are prolific. I think it's thank you, fucking awesome. We pride ourselves on working hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's really great. And if anything, it goes just goes to show that like you can put out a lot of stuff if you just focus on it. Yeah, and it's all different psychedelic southern rock metal yeah acoustic it's fun it's music i enjoy it i love it yeah it's a good time yeah great work i'm looking forward to albums 18 and 19 thank oh. you just so are we <laughs> <laughs> all right then another urm podcast episode in the bag please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your facebook and instagram or any social media you use please tag me at al levy urm audio at URM Academy, and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right then, till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.